Hey y'all, what if you really could change your life? If there was a way to be healthy and intentional in every area of your life? Good news, there is. And we show you how each week on All of You Whole. Hosted by me, Caroline Fossil, entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and speaker. Every episode is an in-depth look at how to help you get unstuck, be brave in your life choices, and have a meaningful life all either from my own experiences or from the experts I interview. My goal is to help you build a healthy, connected, and intentional life that fulfills your greatest purpose. Today on the show, we have Jennifer Robbins of Predominantly Paleo. Jennifer is amazing. She has written five different cookbooks. She runs Predominantly Paleo and Legit Bread Company, which if you haven't tried their mixes, you absolutely have to. Today on the show, we are going to talk about chronic health issues, and she has received over 20 different diagnoses from a variety of healthcare specialists. We are going to hear her story and how she came to be on the other side of it. If you are dealing with any chronic illnesses, I hope that this conversation gives you some insight for some things that you could do to continue to heal your illnesses and also just give you a spark of joy that healing is possible for you. So let's dive right in to this conversation with Jennifer. Okay, so we are going to hear a lot of your story today, Jennifer, but before we dive in, could you tell our audience just a little bit about you? So how do you introduce yourself today? Okay, so I am a spouse. I am a mom of three. I am a multifaceted entrepreneur entrepreneurial type person. Dreamer. Yes. Yeah. A dreamer, a multifaceted dreamer. That's what yes. people say. And we have been a military family for the last 22 years, but we are finally settled. So I'm yay. now rooted, yay, rooted in Tampa <laughs> and kind of setting up shop here so that hopefully I can expand some of my dreamer ideas. Yeah. Um, now that we have a place to, to feel a little more solid. So yeah, that's so exciting. Yeah. I'm so excited for you. I've, I've followed you forever. So, you know, it's been fun to see you go from city to city to city. And I'm glad that you're finally in one place. I'm sure it's nice to be rooted for sure. So nice. Yeah. Well, as you know, March is Breast Implant Awareness Month. And so that's what initially sparked me to interview you for the show. But I want this to be a conversation about the struggles of chronic illness in general, because you have overcome a lot. And also both of our audiences typically reside in those camps. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? You know, when you went from feeling healthy, feeling great to not feeling so great, how did that happen? Yeah. So I really had a pretty good track record through childhood. I didn't Mm -hmm. have anything chronic. I didn't have allergies. I didn't have like even a lot of the stuff that we see today among kids with, you know, earlier onset issues. I was very fortunate and really did not battle much at all other than 
some strep throat or, you know, the typical mm-hmm. communicable disease. Right. In my mid twenties though, after a series of events, which some were, you know, actual life things mm-hmm. and others may have been more medically influencing my situation, which were breast implants and hormonal birth control. Mm-hmm. Um, I started having panic attacks. I'd feel like hypoglycemic. I'd feel just not like, like my body was missing out on its ability to regulate itself, if that makes sense. So totally. prior to that, like I, I never paid attention to like how often I ate or mm. feeling these like dips or even feeling like normal anxiety before something big, maybe like, you know, normal type anxiety, situational right. anxiety, mm-hmm. but I had never had like true panic attacks or feeling like I was going to die. And I actually ended up in the ER a few times because I didn't even know what was happening. I'm like, I don't, I don't really know, but I know that like my heart is up to, you know, 150 beats a minute. And I feel like I'm going to barf and pass (laughs) out and like all these terrible things at the same time. But also like, why am I sensitive to sound during that Mm. feel it you know what I mean like it didn't make sense to me that it was just medical because I was also having these weird like overstimulation symptoms (laughs) at the same time and that's when I realized like oh this is what a panic attack is so you know some people have them sort of periodically where maybe they come out of nowhere or they have like one in a really stressful situation Mine were at the point where I was having like 10 in a day back to back almost. And yes, up to 10 in a day. And then over time, I realized that during the week before my period, that's when they would become the worst. And that is when I was on hormonal birth control. So, Mm -hmm. but I didn't actually put all that together until like I was retrospectively thinking about what I had gone through. So Mm -hmm. that was sort of the beginning of having any sort of health issue. But I mean, I wasn't able to eat, I was dropping weight, I was down Mm -hmm. to like 102 pounds. And you're how tall are you? I'm about five, five. Yeah. Yeah. So my gosh, yeah. And I had always been thin because I was a dancer. Like that was just Mm. kind of my build. I was lean and had a lot of physical activity. But at that point, I was kind of post my dance years. And so I was, you know, a little bit not I wasn't heavy, I was just a little bit heavier. And so I could see the weight dropping. Right. And it was definitely alarming, because it wasn't in my control. I just couldn't, I couldn't eat. And I was constantly feeling like that adrenaline and and high pulse and stuff. So that was wow. sort of the tip off to something's not right here. Yeah. <laughs> but I was I had also just met my would be husband, we were moving mm-hmm. overseas to Germany. So I was thinking like, Oh, okay, I'm just stressed or whatever. But right, you know, in time, I would start to put some pieces together that maybe it wasn't just situational stress. Right. 
I know, especially when you're that young though. It's like, there's so much you don't know. Like looking back, you're like, let's look at our cycle. Let's look at like these pieces, what could be like hormones and what I'm eating and situation like, but you get that knowledge. Like I've gotten that knowledge through seven years of trial and error. You don't know that when you're in your twenties, you know? Right. Especially when you haven't had a history of being sickly, you know, right. if you have always battled those tribulations and it's familiar to you to be in a state of suffering and your right. parents took you to doctor after doctor, right. then yes, maybe it's on your radar. But for me, I was like, really, it was such a blind spot for me because I had not ever experienced anything like that. And yeah. I didn't have a history that would have indicated that that was the path I was on. Yeah, absolutely. So then, so it started with panic attacks and how did it evolve from there? So I ended up going on an SSRI just to get me to a point where I could function like yeah. at all. And we yeah. moved overseas and I, I had finally, cause after it was like five or six months of straight panic, I was just not able to function like a normal human. No, so no. And I was of the mentality, you know, partially probably from the messaging of my childhood, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps right. and just like be figure tough, it out, be tough, you know? And yeah. I was like, I really tried to be tough. Right. Not, yeah. And that did not work. So I was medicated when we moved to Germany and I would say like, I was able to stabilize enough that once we got settled over there, I could tell that the panic had lifted enough, even though it's kind of weird. Cause when you're medicated, it's not like you have zero symptoms of whatever mm -hmm. your affliction was. Right. So like mm -hmm. you can still pay attention to certain feelings or signs or symptoms. So it wasn't that I felt great. It was that I could tell that the panic had dissipated enough that I could wean off of the medication. But also I had gone off of birth control. So mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, I think I'm starting to feel better. Well, again, you know, retrospectively, I'm like, yeah, maybe that helped. Right. So I stabilized and I was kind of okay. I mm. went back to grad school while we lived overseas. I oh, wow. was working, working full time. So, you know, I could function. And then I had two babies back to back. And it right. was after the second one that I was like, you know, I don't think this is just a postpartum situation because yeah. mm -hmm. I felt horrible. And they thought at first that I had Graves disease. Right. But it wasn't, which is funny that my TSH was zero. And so <gasps> they were like, oh, you're, you know, this is what's happening, but let's run numbers in a few weeks. And I'm like, I didn't know anything about the thyroid at that point. Yeah. Because again, I didn't really have a medical history. So TSH yeah. was literally 0, 0.0 on the <laughs> lab. Jennifer, I've like, never even heard of that. <laughs> I've, have you yeah. heard of anyone else 0.0, .0 before? No, I mean, low, <laughs> yes, but not like zero. And I still have the lab work because I knew nothing. And so I was just like, okay, oh my, my TSH is zero. So yeah, like but, what's it supposed to be? Yeah. Oh right, my gosh, exactly. that's crazy. 
But when I went back, you could tell that I was in a Hashimoto's swing Mm -hmm. because it had gone back up. And, you know, that's what happens at the onset of Hashimoto's is it can look like hyper or hypothyroid at any given moment. And Mm -hmm. it's not until basically you've destroyed enough of your thyroid tissue Mm -hmm. that you settle into a hypothyroid state. So Mm -hmm. again, I knew nothing of this. I didn't, I didn't have a frame of reference. And so I was just going by this general practitioner who was like, well, we think it's this. No, we think it's it. No, let's just run (laughs) lines again, you know? And I finally saw an endocrinologist, but I just like, I I even then I would, I had lived my life in such a way that not that my diet was great or, you know, I wasn't even, I wasn't gluten-free at that point or anything like Mm. that, but I was medication averse. So I did not want to just jump into taking meds. And the first endocrinologist I went to was like, listen, if this is the only pill you take for the rest of your life, then you're living a pretty good life. And I was like, Ah, I don't love the way that that's being presented to me. But also I was like, I really, it was a synthetic thyroid supplementation. And at that point I had done a little research and learned that not everybody does a great job converting synthetic T4. It doesn't have the active T3. And Mm -hmm. so I knew at least at that point, if I have to go on medication, I do want to go on desiccated thyroid. I knew that that was like the path. And this was in 2008. And let me tell you to find a functional doctor or an endocrinologist who wasn't eating up the, you know, big pharma messaging of, Mm -hmm. well, we, we can't really regulate the amount of hormone and, you know, desiccated. And even though it had been around for a hundred years, there were so many people who really bought into, you have to take synthetic so that we can know exactly how much you're getting. So Uh, that, that took some digging for, you know, me and I was living in little rock, Arkansas. So it's not like I had so many choices. Sure. So I finally did find someone I did end up going on thyroid medication. I pushed it off for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And I do think things started getting a little better in some ways. I remember family, friends, and people saying, well, honey, you're just depressed and anxious. Your husband is deployed. You have a five month old and a 17 month old. And obviously you're just like, I'm like, I feel like I know the difference between just feeling a little stressed out or overwhelmed or anxious or panicked. Like I knew what that felt like too. What I was experiencing was very physical in every way. And I was not functioning. I would sleep as many hours as I could. And I woke up feeling like I just popped two Benadryl and a sleeping pill. I mean, I was just so draggy and then Mm -hmm. I was wired, tired and edgy and Mm -hmm. felt dizzy and overheated. And just, I could not, again, there was no regulation, um, happening in my system. So in 2009, and I had had my breast implants for mm, less than 10 years, but mm-hmm. I think I got them around age 24. So maybe around age 31, I was like, you know, I can't say for sure that this is contributing, mm. but 
at that point, I was in enough, dare I say, alternative medical circles because yeah. they, were, they weren't alternative at all necessarily. They just right. were talking about things that other people wouldn't. And I remember right. when I had gotten my implants, I did ask questions about safety, but I trusted my surgeon and I trusted mm -hmm. the fact that I was surrounded by women in Austin, Texas, who all had implants, it yeah. felt like. And it was so normalized to get them, right. but it was not ever discussed that there were dangers associated. All you right. heard at that point was, oh yeah, they don't do the silicone anymore. So they're safe. They're, you know, it, everything's fine. We've taken off the market, anything that would be dangerous. And right. So I believed it. I was very trusting. Yeah. yeah but I mean, do, don't you feel like that's still the message today? A hundred percent. And right. And it's funny because when you look at how many doctors, even back then, I mean, you could search the entire country and may, and you had to really dig. And there were like three maybe three explant surgeons names that would pop up in your search. It wow. was almost impossible to even find a surgeon who was qualified to take mm. them out, which I think yeah. is nuts. Like now, at least if you go to a plastic surgeon, they may not acknowledge breast implant illness, but they will acknowledge that you want them taken out back then it was almost like why would you take them out you realize you're gonna have you know really saggy or deflated <laughs> or whatever yeah. like they they didn't even they didn't even acknowledge that maybe you just didn't want them anymore much less that yeah. you could possibly be sick from them right so <laughs> yeah well that's why i think it's so important for you to share this story because you know, I think the message is just like, I think it's good. I think we're going to a good place with like our bodies and beauty and just like, you want to get that thing, go get that thing. You don't, you want to have gray hair and you want to have wrinkles, go do that. You know, I think that's a good place, but I do think we still need to be talking about the potential side effects and the health risks associated with whatever you choose to do, right? Like I think people need to be informed about the choices that they're making and the possible side effects for sure. Definitely. And the, the other part of that is that they can be perfectly safe for 90% of the women who get them, but in the mm. 10%, whose bodies say, uh, I see something foreign and right. I want to protect my body against that foreign thing, then they're not safe for that person. Right. Even though maybe the actual materials, I, I don't think that they're non-toxic, but even if they were, if right. you put anything in the body, the body can reject it. We know that even if you pierce your ears, your mm -hmm. body can reject, you know, it doesn't. And to put things that deeply into our tissues, right? someone who is prone to autoimmune disease or right. to not liking foreign substances, those bodies could react even if, even if the thing is otherwise safe. So yes, I know it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And 
considering that like now now i understand that you know our dna is kind of like a loaded gun for lack of a better analogy and we have triggers that can pull that gun you know that can pull that lever and cause an autoimmune disease or something you know serious and so a lot of what we do is eliminating triggers and you don't want to have parasites or chronic ebv or all, all these different things and so considering that it could be a trigger not that it always is a trigger but like you're saying considering it could be a trigger that's not great especially if like you you were kind of not set up for success given the other things that were going on for you exactly so then you had these implants you're starting to think you know these might be contributing so then you proceeded to have them removed right I did. I had him removed and I ended up with a surgeon who was not one of the like top three, but I came across his name. He was actually, it was kind of an interesting story. He was, I think, an attorney and a surgeon. Dang, um, and that's a lot given, of school. <laughs> that's a lot of school. And I don't think he was practicing law that much, mm -hmm. but maybe had the history. I, right. I, can't, I can't remember exactly now, but he had been in some of these court cases where breast implant illness was the thing. And so he was, he was still willing to implant women and do traditional breast surgeries, but he also was very much aligned with like, Hey, these may not have worked for you. And I mm. totally acknowledge that you could be symptomatic as a result of them. Hmm. So I found him in Houston. That's where my family lived. Mm. So that for me, that was the easiest place to have a surgery and recover. Right. Because I could just go to my parents' house and have a few days there before because I had two toddlers. So I'm yeah. like, and of course they say, you know, don't lift your babies for however many weeks. And I'm like, right, because that's realistic. Totally. And so I did my best. Um, right. But, yeah, it's all you can do. Yeah. But then we went home and I had the drains removed and all of that. So we went home and unfortunately, I still developed a seroma because there was still fluid back there. Mm. And it's a fairly simple complication to fix. So it's fine. Like I, I worked through that, but I did have to get it drained. Yeah. So, you know, after that, it was like, I was kind of stable for a while longer. Again, once I healed from the surgery, I, it wasn't particularly painful. I don't love anesthesia. I feel like it takes my body a really long time to like mm. get, get rid of it. Yeah. Um, I've never been the person that like completes a surgery and like wakes up and is like, okay, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's do this. Yeah. So I was then stable and was able to take my thyroid medication and I was gluten-free and that was kind of enough. And then yeah. the bottom fell out after the third baby. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're like, love ya, but <laughs> yeah. So wait, but back up. How did yeah, you yeah. know to go gluten free? Like, and was that your first kind of like dietary piece with healing? Yes. So 
That's kind of funny. So again, I was in these quote, alternative medical circles with my, right. you know, hippie voodoo, maybe breast implants are bad <laughs> for me. Uh, mentality. Right. And I just started seeing different little snippets of like, you know, dietary changes or mm. autoimmune disease, or can you manage these symptoms by making these changes. And I saw this doctor again in Houston, I traveled back to him. And I mean, I have to say he was pretty far out there, even by today's open (laughs) openness to alternative slash integrative medicine. There were some, there were some things that I was like, this is wild, but I was still willing to try whatever he recommended. Cause you know, you mm. get to a place where you, yes, if you feel bad enough, you are desperate. You are like, you want me to stand on my head for, and, yep. and wait and wiggle my third toe on my, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll try it. What else do I need to do? You know? So I was, <laughs> sure. I was taking the supplements. I was changing the diet. I was, and you know, it, mm. it, it does. I feel like for most people, if you are making some positive changes, you typically feel something. It might not mm-hmm. cure or heal or whatever. For example, if you are deficient in certain minerals and vitamins and you start giving your body access to those, you can feel a shift. It doesn't mean right. that everything goes away that troubled you before, but mm-hmm. there's still help. You know, there's still yeah. like a relief to some degree. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, I was feeling relief. I was feeling like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, maybe I'm a little less dizzy or maybe mm-hmm. I, I feel slightly more rested or whatever. It was not perfect. And again, like I still have these two babies. I'm a military spouse. We're right. moving around. There's constant. And when we moved the, the last time, so this is post explant, still have just two toddlers, not pregnant with the third yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we moved that time, um, my husband was gone. It was a year and a half assignment and he was gone over 220 days that year he traveled. It was a job that we knew would require him to be gone on Mm -hmm. lots of, lots of smaller trips, but he would, you know, come and go, come and go, come and go. Right. We're, we're in this new town. I don't know people yet. I don't have a village. Right. I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, two babies. Like, so it's a lot of stress on the body just in and of itself, much less if there are underlying. Right. Absolutely. And then my pregnancy with the third baby, which I mean, how I even got pregnant with him gone that much, you know, I, I don't <laughs> yeah, seriously, I don't Stars know. aligned. <laughs> it did. It did. But you know, the pregnancy itself was good. Like I felt mm-hmm. pretty good. I was like, uh, this is maybe better than my last two experiences. Maybe because mm-hmm. I had changed my diet. I had been mm-hmm. able to get back to working out prior to her pregnancy. Things were in general, like pretty great as far as how, you know, what I had experienced prior to then. Mm -hmm. It was after her birth that I definitely, you know, my thyroid wigged out and then 
I had this whole set of new symptoms. Well, then we moved again. So, you know, it's like, right. you can't win for try whatever. It's, yeah. It was like, I couldn't put my finger on what even some of the symptoms were. And so of course, yeah. if you try to explain that to a, a traditional Western doctor and you're like, so sometimes I feel like my brain is swelling and pressing against my skull, but it doesn't create pain. It just creates, you know, confusion. And they're like, right. And assuming that like, maybe my hormones were off or something like that. And I was, mm -hmm. I got pretty sick. I went to an OBGYN in DC, which was where we were now living. And there were three kids at this point. No, no implants, gluten-free, living in DC, went to this OBGYN and she tells me, you know, being a mom is real hard. And sometimes we just need a good therapist and a gym membership. And I was what speechless. I mean, yeah. I, I was sobbing to her how sick I was. I That's could barely- terrible. Oh, terrible. Uh, I mean, I, I could barely drive myself to that appointment. I was so sick. And that was her solution to me. And she was like, I mean, I can run some labs, but I just don't think that's the issue. So, you know, again, down the rabbit hole, dig, wow. dig, dig, yeah. mm -hmm. look, look for the helpers. And I did, I did find a great medical team there and ended up, I mean, treating a lot of stuff like I was diagnosed yeah. with. Lyme and co-infections. I was mm -hmm. diagnosed with, you know, chronic EBV and other really high viral titers from like childhood viruses. Yeah. Maybe they were there all along and I had not ever run those labs to see that they were there, but they were prominent and they were reactivated. And definitely I was symptomatic enough to believe that, you know, all of these things in combination with each other were contributing along with being postpartum and having to like, you know, yeah. let things kind of shake back out again. And right. then there was mold more than one. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. like, you know, it's, I feel like it's like the cascading thing. I mean, I've been diagnosed with chronic EBV and treated it, thankfully, but was not surprised. I mean, I had EBV in high school and then also had it again in college, which is like not supposed to happen. Right. So I probably, but at that point, I didn't know chronic EBV even existed. And so, yeah, I mean, and I, I you know, I grew up in a moldy home, I think. And so, yeah. you know, it, we, we just have these things. Did the Lyme surprise you? Yes. And yeah. here's why, because I am not outdoorsy. <laughs> I am, yeah. uh, I am a Jewish girl and right. we are not like campy hiking, <laughs> you know, wilderness yes. exploring people. And I, you know, like I, I started thinking back to my childhood. I'm like, I just don't, I mean, I grew up in, in Houston in the city and I, yeah. I, I never, and you know, and then I started learning more about Lyme maybe passed with other vectors and maybe, mm. you know, what if it wasn't a, you know, Lyme is sexually transmitted. Well, we know that my husband was military and had done, it was a boy scout and an Eagle scout and had also yeah. 
done survival training where I was literally picking ticks off of his body after he would come back from survival training. So maybe like, maybe it had nothing to do with me getting bit by a tick, but at that point, it's like, who knows? And you'll never know. And And it doesn't matter at this point. And it doesn't matter. It's just like, how do we feel better? And I, and I went through, you know, so many antibiotics and Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was just, and honestly, I had to try it in order to know if it helped because Mm -hmm. again, that's when you just say yes to anything that you think could make you feel better. You're in a place of desperation, but I do not think that I ever felt relief from a single antibiotic I took. I just felt like more and more toxic as time went on. And especially by not being a great detoxer, like mm-hmm. taking five antibiotics at once that are the same dose that they would give to like a six foot four man. I like know. That... Lyme treatment is intense. It is Ooh, intense. Yeah. I tell you what. Yeah. So if my gut had not been completely destroyed by that, which it probably mm-hmm. was. Right. You know, it's just, it's so interesting to me how many periods of like okay-ish I had and then like really not okay and even after that after all that I got to like this place of stable and then the rug got pulled out from me again Mm. when we moved yet again and so it just has been this like off and on off and on off and on but in the past two and a half years, I can say like, this is the best I have felt in Mm. decades. And that to me is shocking because I'm also the oldest that I've been (laughs) in two decades. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and it's, things are not perfect. Like now I'm dealing with like female hormones changing. Oh yeah. Gosh. um, Yeah. um, And some iron deficiency and stuff like that. But even still like compared to two and a half years ago, I am, I mean, exponentially better. So it's so glad to hear that. I was hoping that would, that would be what you said. And, you know, I mean, there are just so many components to, healing these diseases and co-infections and root causes and all the things. But what do you feel like has benefited you the most? Like I have to guess that a feeling of stability has, and I'm sure increased community, knowing that you're going to be somewhere for a long time has helped. But what do you feel like has been, what are some of the things that have been helpful to you? I definitely think being in a place that uh, like geographically being in a place you love helps. Mm, Yeah. And I say geographically, not just like where it is on the map, but like Mm. living in the sun and being near the beach and, you know, having weather that is beneficial versus like we, where I was last prior to moving to Florida, we were in Illinois. And so we had mold there, but that combined with harsh winters, right? it was like my body couldn't get on top of anything, you know, because yeah. it was just like stuck in this place. But I'll tell you what I feel like in this last chapter of rough, 
what's helped the most is neuroplasticity and really retraining my brain to behave and believe differently than it ever had before. Well, minus childhood, but like from the point of sickness on my brain had created a lot of really maladaptive thought patterns and beliefs Mm, around illness, Mm. which then affects your nervous system and Mm. really every other system. So basically my nervous system, you know, starting with the panic attacks and going for the next 20 years had been stuck in this place where if I felt a weird sensation come over Mm. my body or migraines start to set in or a quick dizzy spell, anything physical would trigger a bad place, both with thought patterns, but then physically the rest would set in. And it's, it's not Hmm. a mind over matter situation. Your amygdala, like your reptilian brain is there to protect you in a lot of ways. But after you're chronically ill for so long, there are reinforced neural pathways that can keep you sick. And so Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's very involved and it's like way more than a podcast episode, right. but. Right. But this took therapy, like professional therapy help to change that. I did a combination of two programs, DNRS and the mm-hmm. Gupta program that, that basically help rewire the way that your brain is processing information. And so For example, let's say that you have this long history of bad health symptoms and diagnoses and medical trauma and all of this stuff that comes with it. And then you have a physical symptom randomly when you're out shopping one day, Mm -hmm. your brain goes in a split second without you even really thinking about it. It goes into this protective, like you're not safe. I need to protect Mm. you. You need to leave. You're in, you're in danger, right? It's like right. The, the things that would have happened and you can have this with or without a feeling of panic. So it's not just mm. an emotional experience. It's your brain actually saying like you're in danger and you need to leave in order to be safe. And so a lot of people who have had chronic illness will relate to the fact that you can have some symptom onset and you automatically feel like I need to be at home. I need to go home right mm-hmm. now. I just, I need to go home, right? You need to leave right. a party. You need to leave the grocery store, whatever it is. And mm-hmm. your body is not, your safety is not really in question, but that mm-hmm. is the message that your brain understands to protect you. And so with neural retraining, you're basically saying like, thank you, brain. Thank you, amygdala for trying to mm-hmm. protect me. I know that what you're doing is in my favor, except that the result is detrimental. So it's kind of like creating these new pathways that you're okay. And again, it's not just saying like, I'm fine, I'm safe, I'm whatever. It's it's if you, you wanted to like keep water from streaming down a certain path, you can't just think it away 
but you have to carve out a new path for the water. Yes. And, and if you redirect that water down a new pathway, eventually the old pathway will dry up and Mm. then it will not serve as a stream for that water. And so that's good. That's kind of what you're needing to create. And I did that in combination with going back on an SSRI because, Mm -hmm. and it it wasn't specifically for anxiety or depression, although I'm sure that it helped those things, but I had been living in mold again at that time. And I had so much bone pain and nerve pain and just symptoms again, that were hard to explain. And I decided to run a neurotransmitter panel to see like what Mm. is going on with the chemicals in my brain. Like Because I was taking all of the anti-mold supplements. I had taken the detoxification things, increased Mm -hmm. my vitamin C and my glutathione. Like I did did all the things, everything that you need to for mold. But Mm -hmm. my, my levels of pain, my level of functioning was not really regained. And when I saw that my neurotransmitters were completely depleted and it was it mold? Was it the stress of living in mold? Was it, you know, whatever it again, doesn't matter. But when I saw how depleted all of them were, and I had started looking up, can SSRIs help with pain? And yes, they can. Oh, it, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. they can. Because just by boosting serotonin, mm-hmm. that is a weapon against pain. And for me, a supplement in feeling well. So we talk about malaise in, Mm -hmm. in chronic illness, right. And it's kind of nondescript feeling of illness or unwellness, kind of like, you know, if you're starting to come down with a virus and you just feel like icky, but you can't say like what it is, it's not just Mm -hmm. being tired. It's not just being, you know, worn out. It is a specific, like, like, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a viral yucky, icky, can't really pinpoint it. But the SSRI for me helped pain almost immediately. Hmm. But it also really seemed to help with malaise. So yeah, I was doing the brain work with neuroplasticity. And then I took what I was deficient in, right? Like I, I, I took a medication that could medically help the places that I was deficient. And Mm. I even re-ran my neurotransmitter panel more recently and it was night and day. It was like, yeah. So that's fantastic. And it's, and here's the funny part. I'm still on the lowest dose of Zoloft, which a lot of doctors will say is not even a starting dose. Mm. It's the like lowest, you know, milligram dosage you can take. And a lot will say like, you have to go up, you know, after six weeks or whatever. It was almost like when you recharge the battery in your car and you Mm -hmm. just needed the jump start, And then from there, your body could kind of take over, over time. I've stayed at that dose for now, two and a half years. I have not needed to increase it but I've continued to see more and more benefits because with the neuroplasticity work with Mm -hmm. the living in sunshine with the living in, you know, community, like everything just sort of fed the garden. So I'm so glad to hear that. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's been a road, but it yes. definitely I can see all of the contributing factors come mm. together and support a healthy body. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I think the neuroplasticity work is so interesting because my husband's a doctor and deals with pain management and talks about how it's a lot of it is mental. But just like you're saying, you can't walk into a room and say, think yourself out of it. Like just yep. change your mind. You can't do that. Like right. <laughs> you shouldn't even try, you know, it's not helpful. So I feel like this neuroplasticity is such a way forward for both the chronically ill community and, you know, the chronically in pain community. So thank you for sharing your story. That's so amazing. Well, what would you say is your message now that I feel like you're in this great place, you know, kind of looking back on this story of, of chronic illness, what is your message for those people who are maybe back where you were in, in the midst of dealing with chronic illness? Do you have any insight for them? I would say that it's not just about treating the diagnosis that you're assigned you have to really examine a lot of other things that might feel peripheral, but they're mm-hmm. not, they're, they're central. So yes. whether, whether we're talking about, you know, childhood trauma or recent mm-hmm. trauma or things, you know, even in the past two years with the pandemic, like mm. everything that you experience can play a role in your physical and mental well-being. And I would just say, don't dismiss any of it, because you might be so focused on treating chronic Lyme that you're missing the fact that you, you know, watched a parent die or Mm -hmm. had something like really traumatic that you that you have not dealt with in a way that will release you from that trauma. And so, yeah, for me, it was really kind of bringing in not just like talk therapy where you're like, I had a really rough time during, you know, 2006. It's (laughs) more like, what are the things that I've not truly dealt with? Where are the parts of my history that might contribute to physical illness, even Mm. if they were not like the bug bite that caused the Lyme or the, you know, exposure to my first kiss that got me Epstein Barr, you know, it's like, yes, it's the other stuff. And that other stuff plays a much bigger role than most of us want to get into because that's harder. That's harder than (laughs) I know. Right. Like nobody wants to do that. It's ugly (laughs) and it's messy and it's not linear, but, but it's so important. Mm, That is so good. And I hope that as a society, we're moving towards this whole body health and understanding how the brain works better and how neural pathways work and how trauma affects us. I hope that we're becoming awake more to that and how it impacts disease. Well, I wanted to talk also about how you're just a business badass, but I'm so glad (laughs) that we got to chat about your health history and how well you're doing now. So we'll have to have you back to talk about Predominantly Paleo, Legit Bread Company. Jennifer's doing a lot, you guys. So 
let's go ahead and wrap up. And I'm going to ask you the two questions that I ask everybody on the show. So at the end of your life, when you are looking back, what will a successful life look like to you? I think it will be that I have made a positive impact on somebody's life. And it could be one or a hundred or more. I, I hate speaking in euphemisms, but my husband and I always joke about leaving the, the campsite better than you found it. And um, <laughs> yeah, and it really is true because, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's so much detriment to the world right now. Mm-hmm. And I just want to feel like, even if it's small, I want to make a positive shift somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you've already done that and it's not small. So <laughs> Thank um, you. I, yes. So secondly, and this is a two-parter, but what is something in your life you feel like you have been specifically intentional about recently? And then what's something that you'd like to be more intentional about moving forward? I have been very intentional about trying to do the right thing Hmm. in terms of, and that was very, my father Mm -hmm. um, is my father is just, you know, make choices that are good for others and for yourself. And so Mm. I try to be intentional about, and I can be a loud mouth. I can be opinionated. I can be sassy. I can drop F-bombs. (laughs) But ultimately, like, I want to be intentional about how I am trying to help others. Mm -hmm. And where I could definitely use help being intentional is how I isolate my attention, because I am trapped in a world of multitasking. And I feel like I am not intentional always about how I divide my time. Mm. And so, you know, I want to be more intentional that if I am spending time with my family, that I'm just very focused Mm. on that, even if it's not like obvious to them, that my mind is time traveling and doing something else, right? It doesn't have to be just, you know, that I like making a, a phone call or doing something that is obvious. It's also that I want to feel like in my own head that I'm yeah. intentional with the the devotion of time. Mm-hmm. I'm doing one thing at a time. I think that's so good because you do. You do so many things. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for being with us. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. It's been great talking to you. Thank you, Jennifer, so much for sharing your story with us. I'm so happy to hear that you are just feeling yourself and feeling so much better, and that is an encouragement to me and hopefully our listeners too. You can check out all of the links that Jennifer mentioned in the show notes. I'm going to link a few of her uh, blog posts on chronic illness because they're really, really uh, packed with information and really helpful. So check out the show notes there. Be sure to follow Jennifer at Predominantly Paleo on Facebook, and I will see you guys next week.